You're listening to the midweek service from Harvest Bible Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our guest speaker. To learn more about us, please visit harvestbibleonline.org. Check, check, check. I was going to use the, the little headset, but that's only for, uh, for teaching, and I just got fired up, so I'm, I'm going to preach tonight instead. Can we give it up for the worship team tonight? about a special shout out to the youth students? Just a breather real quick. That got intense. That got crazy. My name is Cameron. Um, I'm not the pastor of this church, which I think you all know. Um, But just disclaimer, again, um, my wife and I have the great pleasure, the great responsibility of being the youth ministers here at Harvest Bible Church. So give it up for the youth one more time. Um, I love so much that Pastor Mark and Pastor Pamela have such a heart for the youth. Um, They let us do whatever we want, and that's uh, why we're in here tonight. Um, We're doing a little youth takeover, so um, we decided to switch it up. Usually it's like we're joining your service, but I want you guys to feel like you're kind of joining our service tonight. So welcome to HBC Youth, kind of. Pastor Mark and Pastor Pamela, they are uh, out of town or out of state, really, um, this week. I believe they're visiting um, some family out of state, so we'll be praying for them uh, for a safe return. They'll be back Sunday. Don't worry. I won't be here twice in a row. Um, But let me just get right into this, you guys, because I have a lot of message, not as many minutes as I need, but I'm going to make it work tonight. Um, How many of you in this room know that Christians of all ages need to rise up. And that now, more than ever, where we are right now, we need a spirit of boldness to come across all Christians. We need believers to be all in. The title of my message tonight is All In. Would you pray with me tonight? Please bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord God, help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's all I need. How many of you have a paper Bible with you tonight? Me and Sarah, we have a competition. Who can get to the Bible verse I say the fastest? You would think I'd win because I know what it is. But I get so nervous. My hands are sweaty. It sticks to the pages. I could go on with excuses if you want. But open your Bibles with me to Psalms 37.5. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. I don't even want to hear it if you're there, Sarah. This is what it says. It says, commit everything. Say that with me. Say, commit everything. everything. One more time. Say, commit everything. everything. It says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Say, trust him, and he will help me. I believe that if the enemy cannot stop you from getting saved, his next next best option is going to be trying to stop you from making a difference. And he's going to try to do this the only way he knows how. Lying, deceiving. He'll try to convince you that the Christian life, the way that God calls us to live it, is boring. He'll tell you it's mundane, it's safe, it's uninspiring. But can I tell you that living the way that God has called us to is the exact opposite of all those things? 
There is not a thing in this world that will give you a greater feeling of fulfillment, a greater feeling of joy than to serve God and to live the way he calls you to. Amen? When you live all in, this feeling of purpose and fulfillment that you have from the Lord, it can't be matched by anything else. So let me, let me explain this. The world can give you happiness, but it can't give you joy. Those sound like the same thing, but they're not. Can I tell you something? Happiness is kind of overrated. <laughs> like, happiness is just a reaction. Happiness happens to you. Joy is a decision. Say, God, no matter what I'm feeling, the attitude of my heart is to have this spirit of joy that's going to overwhelm me. Even in the midst of shame and anger and sorrow, whatever you're feeling, you can still have joy. But in the midst of shame and sorrow, there's no happiness because it's a reaction. But with joy, it's a choice. Because we can't choose to react a certain way. But how many of you know we can always choose how we respond? You can't always choose how you react to something, but you can always choose how you want to respond. The world will often try to offer you instant gratification. Here's your happiness. Take it quick. But it doesn't last. But only Jesus can give us joy. Amen? So I want us to answer this question tonight. One of the few that we'll be answering is, how did God intend us to live? How many of you know that not all Christians live the way God called them to live. Not all Christians live the life that God wants them to. Not all believers, not all people. But I believe that Christianity was intended to be much more about other people than about ourselves. Christianity is intended to be about other people. So let me tell you something I see in my generation. You students, don't look at me because y'all are worse. Um, <laughs> but their life is very me-centric. Well, what's in it for me? What do I stand to gain from that? Let me give you an example, okay? Going on Instagram, social media, this seems to be what I've noticed, okay? They'll see something beautiful in nature, so imagine like a beautiful waterfall, oh, something just incredible, beautiful mountains, oceans, like waves crashing into cliffs, and this is their first thought. Hey, Take a picture of me in front of that beautiful thing. What? Take a picture of me in front of it. I'm going to be 85% of the picture, and then I'll have 15% beautiful waterfall in the background. Why? You know what you look like. Everyone you're going to show that picture to knows what you look like. You don't need a picture of yourself in front of it. Just take a picture of the beautiful thing that's in front of you. That's what I see in my generation. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting a picture of yourself with a beautiful waterfall in the background? No, it's not a sin, it's not bad, but it could lead to something more dangerous. This is something that one of my mentors used to tell me. He said that life has never been more chronicled and less lived than it is today. It's never been more chronicled than less lived than it has today. So some of you will understand this. If you go to a beautiful place, okay, and you don't post about it on Instagram, 
Did you actually go? The answer should be yes, but the answer is technically no. Okay? If you didn't make an Instagram post about your mom on Mother's Day, do you even love your mom? Some will say no, and some will say, well, my mom doesn't have an Instagram. So, for other people to see, like, why do you need to know I told my mom happy Mother's Day? But here's my fear. We have this me-centric mindset, and it, it could be innocent, it could be fun in a lot of places in our life, but what happens when we take that me-centric mindset into Christianity? What happens when we take that into our faith? If you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but Christianity is not. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but Christianity is not. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, it's intimate, but Christianity is a faith that by nature calls us to be focused on lost people. It's not meant to be kept to yourself. It's not meant to be just something for you. Christianity is a faith that calls us to reach lost people. So the Bible explains it this way. It says that God is the head and we are the, the body. There's a couple of verses you could look at. So turn your Bibles to Colossians 1.17. I'm there because it's in my notes, so I win. Sarah, bam. And I'm going to read through verse 18. It says this, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ also, Christ is also the head. Say, Christ is the head of the church, which is also his body. So, established. God is the head. Okay? Next passage of scripture, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27. I'm there again. Look at me. I'm doing great tonight. It's just the next line down, but I still counts. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body. Say, I am the body. Say, God is the head. I am the body. The head is running the operation, but how many of you know that the body carries out the functions? Right? So the head... Sends all the commands, but your body carries out the functions. So imagine with me like this, okay? How frustrated would you be if you're just by yourself, you know, you're, you're laying on the couch and you have to do something really important, like come to church on a Wednesday night, so something important, and you're like, okay, you're, you're stuck on the couch because your legs are not listening to your brain. Your head is like, okay. Legs, it's, it's time to go. We got to go to church. Legs, meh. I'm good. I don't even know if the head is really telling me that. I just might be imagining it. How frustrating would that be? And you're like, no, like, you don't understand how this works. You listen to me. And like, meh, no, not today. But, but, but hear this. I wonder if that's how God feels sometimes. God is the head and we are the body. God has has given us a lot to do, but the body is not always carrying out the function that it should. And I wonder how God feels sometimes. Like, he calls the body to do something, but we remain stationary. 
And how long are we going to stay sitting down when God is speaking to us like, oh, I don't know if that's really God speaking to me. It is. If it's something that's biblical, it was probably him. And, and here's the thing. We have to stop only like, oh, I just need to hear the voice of God. It's like, well, do you have a Bible? Yeah. Well, everything he ever is going to say is in that book in some way. If God only spoke to us, what would happen? I know what would happen for me because I can't remember a single thing my wife tells me to do. So I would be absolutely like out of luck. I would forget everything. That's why about 2,000 years ago, instead of God having to speak to us constantly, he had somebody write it down for us. Isn't that so nice of him? God is speaking to the body. God is calling us to do something about lost people. Amen? Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but Christianity is not. Christianity in itself is about lost people. If you're taking notes, write this down. Being all in is not passive. It's active. You cannot passively be all in with Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Okay, It's an active thing that we do. Being all in is active. Something I love about Jesus, you guys, I mean, it's like obvious you should love a lot of things, but let me be specific. Something I love about Jesus is how honest he is. How many of you in this room don't like when people sugarcoat things and don't really say, don't say what they really mean and you're like, okay, can you get there real quick? Like they got the sandwich method. You ever heard of that? It's like, oh, I think you're doing a great job. I mean, you're terrible at your job but I really like you. You know, you say one nice thing, you say what you actually mean, you close it with one nice thing. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything. Okay, he's a straight shooter. He tells it how it is with dignity and class. So we find ourselves in Luke 14, and Jesus has a large crowd of people following him. Okay, it's no doubt that he has such a huge crowd because people have been hearing about his, his inspiring teachings The blind are coming, they're leaving with their sight. The sick are coming, they're leaving healed. Jesus is walking into funerals and turning them into family reunions. Like, my daughter has died. No, family reunion. Now you're all together, aren't you glad? Point being, people are coming from all over to see Jesus and they want to be a part of what's going on. So I'm wondering, as I'm reading this, what are they expecting? Okay, we don't know what they've heard. They might have just heard, hey, Jesus literally just fed 5,000, 15 to 20,000 people. So, if, hey, if we go, at least we might get a free meal. Um, people probably came expecting to get healed, to have a, a feel-good teaching. They want to feel good. But what they're about to get is actually a wake-up call. Jesus has this large crowd of people, but he's not concerned with the size of the crowd. He's more concerned with their level of commitment. And let me tell you, that is true for today. Jesus is much more concerned with our level of commitment than the size of our crowd. And what's interesting is if you read throughout the gospel, when Jesus has his harshest messages, or what come off the harshest, is when he has the biggest crowd. Whenever he has thousands and thousands of people following him, this is what he says. Let's look at Luke 14, verse 25. 
I'm going to read out of the New International Version to start this one off. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Say, large crowds. What does large mean? A lot. Yeah. Just making sure you're still with me. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What an opener. I mean, nothing gets people excited like telling them to hate their grandma and their parents and their wife and their babies. I mean, that would really, you know, get my spirit lifted. I don't know what they're expecting, though. Maybe they're expecting some extravagant event, right? They're like expecting a water to wine booth. Like, they're like, where's the dunk tank where you get healed if you fall in? I'll, I'll go next. Let me get a good thrower. Or maybe they're expecting like a raffle where you can win one free miracle, redeemable at you at any times. But instead of this kind of fun thing we're talking about, maybe they're expecting all these things. Jesus opens with saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your family and hate yourself. Now, I've heard it said that people will say that this passage of scripture is only for people in the fivefold ministry. But I, I read that passage of scripture, and my translation says, if anyone. So anyone is a pretty inclusive term. This is not just for preachers and teachers. This is not just for people who serve in ministry. If anybody wants to be Jesus's disciple, he says that this is true for you. So here's the big question. Does Jesus want you to hate your grandma? No, come on, y'all know that. Does Jesus want you to hate your grandma? No. Wouldn't that contradict his other teachings? Right? To love your neighbor as yourself? Who's closer than your family? Nobody, especially if you live with them. So I read this and I'm, and I'm thinking, why is there such strong language? Why does he say you must hate? And I think that's the part of the scripture that throws people off because it's cultural. Right? So when we're reading the Bible, there's times where it addresses spiritual issues. But how many of you know that it also has to address the cultural issues at the time that it's written? So in this culture, if you were to become a follower of Jesus without the blessing of your family, it would have been thought that you hate your family. It would have been thought of as you walking away from them, turning away from them, abandoning them. And I know that word hate throws people off, but if you read the New Living Translation, if we could pull that up, Luke 14, 26, says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. And that's an important word here. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus does not want to be first of many. He wants to be first and only. Jesus does not want to be first of many. He wants to be first and only. So picture a race in the theater of your mind. So you have a race, okay? And there's going to be some people who are racing to be the number one priority in your life. So let's come up with some people. In track number one, Jesus. Woo, Jesus. Woo. Track number two, your spouse. Woo, spouse. Woo. Oh, yeah. Track number three, your kids. Track number four, your best friend. Track number five, your job. And they're all racing. They all want to be the first priority in your life. 
the idea, Jesus doesn't just want to be first place with everything close behind. Jesus wants to be the only person on the track. Let me explain it like this. Imagine I pull out my wallet, okay? Open it up. You see a picture of my wife. Aww, how sweet. Okay? Now, hypothetically, do y'all know what hypothetically means before I say this? (laughs) Meaning this is not true. You can check my wallet after church, every single one of you, hypothetically. I said it. Now imagine that my wife takes the picture out because she wants to see, and then she sees four or five other pictures of four or five other women in my wallet. This is hypothetical, okay? So you're at my funeral, right? And you're all talking. And imagine, okay, so she's going to be upset. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, babe, what's the problem? You're the first place. You made it. This is a good day. You're my number one wallet girl, okay? No. My wife does not want to be first of many. She wants to be first and only. Jesus does not want to be first of many. He wants to be first and only. You know, because we're created in the image of God. So it's not that God is a lot like us. We are a lot like him. So we're jealous. God is jealous too. God is jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your time. Jesus doesn't want to be first of many any more than than my wife would want to be first of many. I'll say it one more time. Jesus doesn't want to be first of many. He wants to be first and only. Amen? And I'm serious. My wallet, there's no one else, okay? If you're taking notes, write this down. And this is where I'm going to start to bring our service to a close. Write this down. There's a cost to being a disciple. Say this with me. Say, discipleship has a cost. Discipleship has a cost. Being a disciple, and stay with me here, will likely cost you some friendships. Being a disciple of Jesus could cost you a relationship that God is not the center of. Being a disciple could could cost you some things with your career. It could change the way that you're treated at work. It could change the way that you're treated in school. But can I set you free real quick? Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody should. John 15, 18, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Say this with me. Say, if the world hates me, remember it hated Jesus first. I mean, think about this. We're supposed to be preaching and proclaiming the same message that Jesus was crucified for. We're supposed to be preaching and proclaiming the same message that Jesus died for. 
The same message that James was stoned and clubbed for. The same message that Thomas was stabbed with spears for. The same message that Peter was crucified upside down for. And we think that we can live the same way that they did. The same way that God calls us to. And everything's going to be fine. Everyone's going to like us. This is a dangerous message that we're preaching. This is a dangerous message that we've been given. I would actually challenge you. If you are loved and liked by everybody, we might not be taking as big a stand as God wants us to. Because how can we impact a world that we resemble? We look the same, we talk the same, we do the same things, and then every now and then we say, hey, you should come to church with me. And your friend's going to say, why? Your life is the same as mine. Except you dedicate part of your weekend to something. This is supposed to change us. If you're taking notes, write this down. All in needs a starting point. Say this with me. Say, all in needs a starting point. And I want to start to close with this story. And I love it. It's a story titled Parable of the Lost Son. How many of you have heard this story? All right, now pretend you'd never heard it. Why do I say that? Because we know it and we say, oh yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. But God might be having a new revelation for you about this tonight. And if we don't hear it with fresh ears, we could miss that revelation. So imagine you've never heard this, and I'm about to tell you the story called the parable of the lost son. If you're still in Luke 15, we're going to jump back to chapter 11. This is what it says. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So what has he just told his father? He's saying, Father, you are dead to me. I just want your, I just want your estate as if you already died. So the father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. This next part's important. It says, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Say wild living. When you're living outside the will of God and you're living wildly, it will cost you everything that you have. He's lost everything. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. This is an important part. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, it said, aren't you glad that we can have a moment where we're in the last place we thought we'd ever be? Ashamed. And we can have a moment where we say, when I came to my senses. This is what he says. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. 
And here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. The story goes on to say that the father sees him coming from a long ways out. You know what that means? That he was waiting. See, it's called the parable of the lost son, but you could also call it the parable of the loving father. So I imagine, this is what I do. I try to fill in the blanks in my mind. He's kind of coming up with this speech, you know. Hey, pops, how you? No, no. Daddy-o, how you doing? No, too casual, too casual. And finally, he decides. His speech is ready. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. The father sees the lost son coming. The father runs to his son. The Bible says he kisses his son. He hugs and embraces his son. And he covers him with a fine robe. The son is trying to get his prepared speech out. And and he's saying, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But Luke 15, 22, the message translation says, but the father wasn't listening. It says the father wasn't listening. They prepare the fattened calf, which shows that the father's been waiting for this for a long time. He's been prepared for his son to return. His brother's angry. His brother says, father, I've been faithfully serving this place for as long as I've been alive. You've never had a fattened calf prepared for me. There's no feast. And he says, son, everything I own is yours. And Luke 15, 32 says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. You know why? Because when you're in the house, it's not about you. Christianity is about lost people. It's about lost people. So how does this story relate to Jesus? Wherever you are right now, all you have to do is make your way to Jesus because he's waiting for you. He's been prepared for you. He's looking a long way out and all you have to do is make your way there and Jesus is gonna run to you. He's gonna embrace you. He's gonna cover you with his forgiveness and his grace. And yes, he's not listening to the speech you prepared. God, I'm so sorry for everything that I did. God, I just am not worthy to be called your son. The father is not listening. He embraces you and he celebrates to have you back. And this is the part that I believe is for somebody. Because this is added in and I felt like the Lord told me to add it. Here's the most important distinction about this story. It's not about the lost son returning to the house. It's about the lost son returning to the father. God is not calling Christians to come back to the church. He's calling Christians to 
come back to him. And I just felt really burdened that there's somebody and doesn't I don't know how long it's been that you've come back to the church but you've never come back to the Father. And here's what I want to do. All across this room, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if this moment isn't for you, I just ask that you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed out of respect for the people around us. I don't know if there's some people who have been feeling distant with God and disconnected or like you've, you've never come back to him no matter how long you've been in this church. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you slip up a hand just so that I can pray for you? And no one's looking I just want to be able to pray for you. God knows. You know. This is just a moment to be honest with yourself. Again, no one's looking around. Would you slip up a hand so that I can pray for you? I see both of you. Hallelujah. I see you guys. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, say this with me. Something's got to change. Father, I thank you tonight for everyone here who rose their hand. God, thank you for helping us to recognize the times that we feel distant from you. Father, right now in this moment, we make the decision to no longer stay in places where we don't belong. But God, we won't let shame hold us back from from being where you want us to be. God, from being in your presence. So Father, right now, We make our way back to you because, Father, you meet us where we are. Hallelujah. Again, the same atmosphere real quick. Before I close, I always want to offer this. If there's anybody here who needs to give their life to Jesus tonight for the first time or a rededication, would you slip up a hand so that I can pray with you? Hallelujah. Let's pray one last time. Father, thank you for tonight. And God, thank you that you just call us and you bring us back to your presence. It's not about your house, Father. It's about being in your presence. God, help us to have these words that you've spoken tonight. God, remain in our hearts. God, don't let the enemy come and attack these words. But Father, help them to remain in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Everyone, look at me real quick, real quick, real quick. If you rose your hand, and this is something I tell my youth students to do all the time, if you answer to that prayer and you've never felt like you've come back to him, tell somebody. Tell somebody who can hold you accountable, someone who knows because what the enemy wants is to keep you isolated. He wants you to keep that a secret. Oh, you better not tell anybody. He wants you to leave, live in shame. But God wants us to be open and honest and loving and accepting with people in the body. So tell somebody, find someone who can help hold you accountable.